Have I forgotten anything else before I start on the message? No. Okay. We're in the media. Okay. Brokenness everywhere. This is really just proof of my brokenness, right? That, uh, you know, everything's messed up because of sin, pain, uh, disease, mental illness, racism, poverty, murder, dot, 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 on and on and on. And all that is the result of sin, the result of a single conversation in the Garden of Eden. It really, just a question. One simple question, but it, that question, that conversation brought disorder, uh, brought a distortion to the order that God brought into existence that we talked about three Sundays ago. Uh, it messed up the, the, the rest, the worship that he provided on day seven of creation in chapter one. It messed up the provision of a garden and food that God had made for uh, humanity that had to be tended but not toiled over, and it it ruined the relationship uh, between man and woman, between husband and wife, and from image-bearer to image-bearer. Everything got messed up because of sin, and we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. And in uh, that conversation, not long after, or in another, rather, in another conversation, just a few moments after the first one, the first one that brought sin, we, from this little parallel poetic line that we would be, uh, no one would question us if we just kind of skimmed past we find hope and healing. We find a promise. We find that uh, the moment the penalty for sin was established, hope for its defeat was given. God did not allow that sin unchecked to linger but a few moments before he provided the way out. We're going to see that this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. In your Bible, it probably says something like the temptation and the fall. This was uh, less a temptation than it was a deception. Nonetheless, the fall fits. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not touch it, uh, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. Oh, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God goes on with other consequences of, of the, the fall, the, the, the disobedience in eating that fruit. We're not going to get into those all this morning. We're going to stop at verse 15. A lot is going on in this passage. The number one thing we need to see is that sin destroys. Let's just stop there for a second. Sin destroys. Every time it's acted upon, every time we sin, we are destroying something. Now, we look at this passage and we find all sorts of interesting tidbits that, that I want to just briefly go over, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on this morning. Remember that the serpent, though he was the most cunning of all, he was created. This is a created being. This is one of the animals that God put in uh, on the earth that Adam has named and is supposed to have authority over. But he's cunning. And he comes to the woman and he asks the question, did God really say? Creating doubt. That's all he's doing. That's all the serpent would say he was doing. I just asked a question. I didn't say anything. I didn't tell her to do anything. I just asked a question. Have you ever heard that from people before? I just asked a question. Well, you know, you didn't just ask a question. You had motive. You had purpose. You had evil intent behind the question. But he asked the question, did God really say? And then he intentionally asks the question in a way that God didn't say. Because he, the answer he's going to get from Eve, and he knows it, is no. Now, that's, he's got his foot in the door at this point. Because he asked a question, did God say? And her answer is no. He's, she's already, though she doesn't realize it, she is giving a negative response to, did God say? Because he didn't ask the question the way God stated it. He asked something different because he was the most cunning in the garden. Did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, he didn't say that beginning with a false premise to start with, but he begins to make Eve doubt. Well, no, that's not what he said. 
So already she's answered no, and then she's got to correct him. And she corrects him with, we can eat all the fruit except the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, there were two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they could eat of the tree of life. So whether he has confused her or what, she's already a little off track. There, we just can't eat from the one in the middle of the garden. Well, from one of the ones in the middle of the garden. But, you know, she's, she's still got the fact that she's not supposed to. We can eat all these, just not that one. And she says, you must not eat it. God said, you must not eat it. That's correct. Or touch it. Well, God didn't say they couldn't touch it. Now, is that a good um, hedge around the, the, uh, the law? Possibly. We don't even go near that thing. That way, we don't accidentally. I'm not one that says, see, Eve was already uh, twisting God's words just like Satan was. She is still sinless at this point, so she would not be twisting God's words, certainly not knowingly. Now, is that what Adam told her, or is that, but it can't be just what Adam told her, at least not if it was sinful to tell her that, because Adam could not sin up to this point. So I'm going to go with Eve is just saying, look, we don't even mess with that thing. We can eat anything here, we can't eat that, and we don't even go around it. We don't even touch it. So, God, so, so Satan gets this, he asked the question wrong, he, she answers the question with more information than is necessary, and now, we're, now she's in the midst of it. She's in the middle of this no-win argument. It's like she's on Twitter or Facebook or any social media. Know that, well, you said, no, that's not what, I, well, that's what, but uh, no, I didn't because you said, no, I didn't, you said... It's, and you just have to mute the conversation. She should have muted the conversation. Eh, she didn't. No, he says, you will not die. The lie comes masquerading as the truth. Because what the serpent says here is technically true. When she takes a bite of that fruit... She will not die at that moment. So, couched in this nice package of seeming uh, truthfulness is him hiding the actual truth. Yeah, you ain't going to die right then, but death's coming. Because they've already been told if they eat the fruit, they will die. No, you won't. You won't die right then. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. So now he's creating doubt. Not doubt about what God said, because this is actually true. God does know that when they eat the fruit, they will be like him in that they will know good and evil. That was the whole purpose of staying away from the tree to begin with. So again, he's not lying. But look at what he's saying. Well, God just He's holding back on you. If you eat this, it's going to be great. You'll, you'll be like him, and he knows that. That's why. 
We say that about authority figures all the time. We, oh, well, that's why they won't let you do this, because they know how good it is. That's why they won't, you know, it, it, that's why the oil company has kept hydrogen engines from working in cars for 100 years, because they're trying to keep their... Pro- we, we've got all the stuff out there. It's out there. If you just listen a little bit, Twitter, again, will be a great, I would say help, but no. No, you won't die. You'll just... Be like God. And so she looked. And she saw, that does look pretty nice. So she took some. She ate it. And she gave it to her husband, who was with her. What the heck was Adam doing this whole time? Just standing there? Oh... Apparently, he doesn't speak up. He doesn't say, honey, maybe we should not listen to the talking snake. You know, maybe, no, this is, that's, God said, we're not going to do this. Adam is already struggling with his leadership, which is problematic because he's not sinful yet. Yet, he doesn't step in. And I really just don't know what to do with that. I mean, if you're looking for the big old answer right here where Michael solves the problem of this, nope, not going to, because I'm, I'm going to have to say, I don't get it either. What in the world is going on? He is called as the husband to lead, to protect, and he didn't. Possibly, I think, and I'm not solving here, I'm just thinking out loud. He's listening to the serpent, serpent too. She's talking to Eve. Uh, he, rather, he's talking, the serpent is talking to Eve. But Adam's listening and going, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm thinking they were both tempted, both... Uh, um, I've lost the word I used earlier. Deceived, thank you. Uh, I didn't write it down, so I'm struggling. Uh, Both deceived at the same time. Uh, We just don't get that part of it. Eve's doing the one, or is the one doing the talking here. And so they eat. And their eyes were opened, and they saw their nakedness, which to that point had not been a problem, uh, because they didn't understand nakedness because there was no shame shame over sin shame over anything and as i told you last week i believe the the uh, middle eastern culture the the israelite culture nakedness was a huge huge shame issue so that there was not much worse that you could be than naked in front of everybody it's one of the reasons why when you read on into Isaiah and the prophet's supposed to walk around naked for so long uh, because it's a, 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 a lived-out prophecy, y'all all look at me like, what? Read Isaiah. Dude's got some stuff, let me tell you. That's why it was such a big deal. It's because, uh-uh, we don't, we don't do that. So that's the example used here in Genesis for how sin has destroyed. Well, what all has it done? Well, the first thing sin did is it distorted the order that God had set up. The 
the first order it distorted is now people are going to die. Humanity will die. In chapter 2, verse 17, they're told if you eat from it, eat from this tree, you will die. And in verse 19 of chapter 3, God says, as part of the consequences, for you are dust and you will return to dust. Death for humanity is now guaranteed. Primarily because they're not going to have access to that tree of life anymore. That was their source of life, and that has been cut off. Now they are outside the garden. They are outside of that relationship with God. We see the deterioration of the earth in verse 14 of chapter 3 that I read. Uh, now the, the, the serpent is more cursed than any livestock, more than any wild animal, will move on your belly. No, the serpent probably didn't have legs and had his legs taken away. It is just a description of what he is now. It is more metaphorical. Yes, you, the serpents always were on their belly, but now it's, it's a sign of uh, your, your ignoble life that you will lead. You now are, you're just a, a, a you're, you hide in the dirt. You're, that, you're over there. How many of y'all like snakes? I mean, I kind of do, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I see people, oh, I had this snake in the yard and I killed it. What kind was it? A snake? No, they're good ones. No, there aren't. That's their response. And I'm like, no, there are. But anyway, but that's generally how we perceive snakes. But that's not the way earth was supposed to be. That's part of the deterioration of the earth. Subdue the wildlife, rule over the wildlife, but not have that sort of uh, relationship of animosity and, and fear with the wildlife. So this is part of that deterioration. Verse 17a, now the, the roots, uh, the, the, uh, the briars and the brambles and uh, all that's going to grow up and you're going to have to fight the earth to get food from it. And it, entropy is going to be our new way of life. Entropy is uh, a fun word you, you learned either in physics or maybe chemistry or probably just in physical science. But it's the tendency of everything to go to mess. No, things don't want to hold together. Things want to go, uh, tear apart. That's why you have to fix the roof on your house and replace the parts in the car and, and you know, get a new hip and a new knee and, because entropy is the way things go. Things deteriorate, and that wasn't the plan. But that's one of the ways sin destroys. And then we see in this passage not just death for humanity, deterioration of the earth, but we see a reversal of order. And the reversal of the order that God set up. Beginning of verse 15 again. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That fight wasn't supposed to be there. There was supposed to be one in charge and, and the other under its authority. But now that authority has been uh, reversed. There is now hostility instead of authority. Sin destroys by distorting the order. Sin destroys by disrupting provision. Verses 17 through 19, the first part of 19, tell Adam, these are the consequences of what you've done. You now, uh, the ground is cursed. The ground is cursed. The serpent is cursed. The ground is cursed. Man and woman are not cursed. Don't miss that. But the ground is cursed. You will eat from it by means of pains, uh, painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. 
and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you turn, return to the ground. Now, tending your garden is toil, not just life-giving, life-affirming work. Yes, if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life, but it does not matter how much you love your job. There those days, you hate your job. It is toil, not life-giving work. Yes, even preachers. There are days for all of us because you know why? We're all sinful and so are y'all and so are we and you are too and I am also. All of us. So it's toil, not just work. The provision that God had provided, you got to tend it, but you don't have to work for it. Now you got to work for it. And then verse 22 of chapter 3, the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. Sustained life is over. You gonna die. Now they lived some 900 or so years. And just crazy curious me, I wonder if that was residual of the fruit. You know, like you, you took a whole lot of vitamins and you lasted a little longer than everybody else. I wonder if that was it. And they sort of passed that down to their offspring for a while until that slowly worked out of their system. I have no clue. I just wonder weird things like that sometimes. Regardless, though, it was over. There was an end point. 900 and something years for them, 969 for uh, Methuselah, 108 for me because that's how I'm, long I'm going to live. But the end point is coming, and it's coming for each one of us. God had provided immortality, and now that is taken away because provision is disrupted. Sin destroys through broken relationships. We already talked about the broken relationship between humanity and animals. That's been messed up, particularly among, uh, between humanity and snakes. But if you go hunting for wild pigs, you've got to watch out because they'll, they'll stab you. And if you go hunting for rhinoceri, they'll gore you. And hippopotami are even more dangerous than that, so be careful when you're hunting them. Um, and in all these places, you've got to watch out for snakes. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just over and over and over. And if you go hunting in, like, you know, the Rockies or something, you got to watch out for mountain lions because they'll track you and eat you. But they're also endangered, so you can't shoot them. Ugh, conundrum. But more importantly, the relationships between humans are broken. We start with the blame game. Adam, what did you do? Uh, the woman that you gave me. Adam just goes ahead and blames Eve and God for this whole mess. Not him, not the one who was standing there the whole time, not the one who was probably thinking, I guess, in his head, well, the serpent's kind of got a point there, doesn't he? Not, not him. It wasn't Adam's fault. It was the woman and the one who made the woman. The woman... Blames the serpent. It wasn't my fault. I was just a sweet little woman. I was confused. I was deceived. I was whatever. Nope. 
Nope. Responsibility on the man, responsibility on the woman. But we love to blame other people for our sinfulness. Well, I couldn't help it because I was raised this way, or this person did that to me, or they did this, or I didn't have what I needed, so I had to, or whatever the excuse is, we are first and foremost going to blame someone else for our sin. That is a broken relationship. But it's not just the blame game. Now we have a marital power struggle, and we see that in verse 16, the second half of verse 16. It says, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That desire is not sexual. It's not, boy, he sure is handsome. It's, I want to take his place in authority. And in turn, he will then rule. Not the, the helpmeet, the helpmate that God had designed. Not the part of his side that completes him that he, God had done in chapter 2. But instead, a warring, factional relationship where no, we're going to do this. No, we're going to do that. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. Well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'll get the kids against me. Well, I'll get your in-laws against me. Well, I'll do this. Well, I'll do that. Well, I'll take the car. Well, I'll take the house. Well, I'll do over and over and over. I know that doesn't describe anybody's relationship relationship with their spouse or ex-spouse in here, but in some people's lives, that's what it is. Right here, right here, now, this is what did it. The relationship is ruined because of sin. And not just husband and wife relationships, not just uh, uh, blaming other people, I, my problem is because of you, but we read on in chapter 4 that we're going to actually talk about next week, the murder of a brother. Cain murders Abel, the, 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 full, the full fulfillment, the, 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 the fullest uh, visible result of a broken relationship, murdering your own brother over jealousy. I don't want to get too far ahead. And then you've just got all of the brokenness of relationship, image bearer to image bearer. Racism, slavery, hatred, war, class division, and warfare between the classes. Induced Poverty, unconcern, hatefulness, hatred, slander, lies. Those are all sins that are a result of or, or show up in this broken relationship between image bearers. And then there's just a whole litany of other things we find here, other brokenness. In chapter 3, verse 7, we find shame, which has not been talked about in Scripture yet. Verses 12 and 13, the blame game, that's just a lack of responsibility. I'm not willing to say I did what I did was wrong. 3.15, hostility, if we want to give that a, a different name. Labor pain. Uh, ladies, eesh. Uh, but this likely encompasses all the difficulties of conception, pregnancy, delivery, because fetal mortality, uh, uh, mother and child mortality at birth, these were all things that they lived with on the regular that much of we have fixed through medicine, not all, still not terribly safe to push another human being out of your body. 
But it was even worse then. So the labor pains that he's talking about here is very likely just the entire process. And then we can just go to chapter 4 and read the rest of the Bible and we'll find all sorts of brokenness along the way. Sin destroys. All the way up to today. This morning. Very likely this afternoon. Sin destroys. But the Savior heals. That's where we're going this morning. Second point of my two-point sermon. The Savior heals. Chapter 3, verse 15. The second half. Next slide, please, Pat. It'll get there in a second. Oh, well, that's not good. Well, I'll keep on, and uh, hopefully he's not, hopefully he's exaggerating about the choking to death. Okay, she'll get over it, good. Because <laughs> you don't usually get over the dying part of choking to death, so that, that's good that she'll, she'll get over it. All right, uh, so anyway, it'll just say the Savior heals, uh, 315b. It all goes back to verse 1, though, of chapter 3. Did God really say? Ultimately, that's the question that leads to all sin. Did God really say? You're rejecting uh, biblical authority. Did God really say that homosexuality is sinful? Did God really say that murder, whether outside the womb or inside the womb, is wrong? Did God really say that liars and slanderers won't go to heaven? See what I did there? I took those sins that we in the church, we really like to preach about, but I matched it with the sins that we kind of wish we could ignore because most of us commit them. And that they are both damning Did God really say that? The answer is yes. But we begin with the question, did he? Because the the implied response to did he is, I don't want to, therefore I will question what God said. And then we just get all the way up to, but did God really say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? But there are other religions, there are other belief systems, there are other people, there are other ways, I'm told, did God really say? And the answer is always, yes, God really did say. Well, not always, depends on what people are saying God said. But when we go to Scripture and it says, then we say, yes, God really did say. Verse 1 is all about selfishness and self-reliance. I want this knowledge, and I can help, or I can handle, rather, this I want it, I can handle it. God said, no, you don't, and no, you can't. But Adam and Eve said, yes, we do, and yes, we can. Truth was, they didn't, and they couldn't. And we're the same way with sin today. I can, I can handle the consequences, or I don't care about the consequences because the sin is enticing enough at the moment. And it all goes back to chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say? 
So we zoom to chapter 3, verse 15. And we see that all the sin, all the problems in this little two-line, the way it is in your Bible may show it as sort of a poem or a song, and, and it's, it's part of it. It is chapter, uh, verse 15a, he will strike your head, he will strike, yes, he will strike your head, the offspring, the seed, and you, serpent, will strike his heel. I'm going to spend a little time on this. The way it's phrased is it is equal in um, damage. The way the Hebrew is written, the word strike there is the same in both places. And there is a, 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 an image of the heel being a less dangerous place to be struck than the head. And in a sense, that's, that is true, uh, except that if uh, a viper, which was their only uh, known venomous snake, uh, or the most likely venomous snake that they would be talking about, if that bites you on the heel or the thigh or the calf or the pinky finger or whoever, it doesn't really matter. The venom is what does the work, not the bite. And to strike a serpent, if you hit it on its tail, well, that's dumb. You want to strike the head. So the image we get here, that what the Israelites would have heard from this verse, is a constant struggle between those who are righteous and those that are evil. And that's not wrong. That's what Moses' people would have heard. When he read this, that's what they would have gotten. But as we move forward through time... We have theologians that look at it and say this is not just Israelites' struggle or humanity's struggle with evil. This is the church's struggle with evil, the, the church's struggle with Satan. And not wrong there either because we are fighting a battle as believers, a fight against not flesh and blood, but principalities and rulers of the air. We, we have a fight. We are in a battle with evil as a believer, as the church, as a com uh, combined group of believers. And he strikes our heel and we strike his head when we when he tempts us and we sin that's a heel strike but when we repent or we um uh we push back against sin and avoid it that is a strike against his head he loses but this is one of those passages that while the original reader heard it one way God, in his sovereignty, knew that it was a broader picture, a, a broader, uh, there would be a broader result, maybe even a more specific result, than the original hearer understood. We get that in passages like when Isaiah says, a virgin shall conceive. That was an immediate promise to a king at that moment. That was a promise that he, that king, would see something happen in his kingdom that proved to him that God was in control and going to take care of things. 
But we also know from the New Testament that that passage would be more fully fulfilled, more uh, uh, powerfully fulfilled when the virgin Mary conceived and a son was born to her, to us, to take away our sin. This is one of those passages. Israel heard a continual fight. The New Testament actually never comments on this passage directly at all. But as we look back, we see the strike. Well, it was fatal, wasn't it? The strike to the heel of Jesus. The poison ran through his veins figuratively and killed him on that cross. The, the poison of evil. But three days later, the head got crushed because, unbeknownst to, the, to, to Satan, oh, he's going to rise again. He didn't study his scriptures very well, nor did he listen to Jesus when he taught the disciples. Because the crushing blow came on that Sunday, that resurrection morning. We fight the devil daily. We, we give him a mortal wound every time we resist temptation. But his fatal blow, though he's still around, right? The fatal blow came Easter morning. He will not survive that strike against his head. Death, where is your sting? Or grave, rather, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Paul asks. You ain't got it, he answers, sort of. Because we have life in Jesus Christ. The seed that was promised in verse 15 was born. And just as we celebrate it, anyway, tomorrow. Now, no, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, very likely. But as Joe McKeever said on Facebook, we've got a 1 in 365, uh, 1 in 365 chance of being right. He's born one of these 365 days. This is a good enough day to celebrate it as any. And if we read the story, Satan saw the angels, the shepherds, and the angels, and, and the announcement, and, oh, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, he is in Bethlehem. Satan, mm, Bethlehem, got it. Wise men go to Herod. Herod go, uh, Satan goes into Herod and says, hey, why don't you kill all the babies, all the young ones in Bethlehem? Take care of the problem, Herod. And he does, except... Joseph's gone. I'm going to talk about that tonight. Satan tried to stop it and failed. Christmas morning, the, the head was bruised. Easter morning, the head was crushed. The, the stinger was taken. And the victory that Satan thought he had on Friday was turned three days later into irrevocable defeat. We celebrate the coming today and tomorrow, this season, really. We celebrate the victory in just a few months.
the beginning of hope. Adam and Eve, you're going to die. And life's not going to be that great while you're living it. You're going to work hard. Your relationships are going to be good sometimes and stink other times. And folks are going to kill folks. And, and it's going to be really, really bad some days and really good other days. And that's going to be life. But that will end in death. But you know what? Death actually will end. Pain will cease. Tears will no longer flow. Sin will no longer entangle. Because though he strikes the heel, Jesus will crush his head. And the hope of that someday, because they didn't know what day, they didn't know when, they didn't know if that meant their own kid, Seth, well, what's going to be Cain, clearly, not Abel either, uh, Seth, maybe, or maybe one of the, uh, who knows, but one day, hope will come. 2,000 years ago, it came. 1967 years ago, it died on a cross. But three days later, hope rose. And what is hope, First Baptist Sulphur? Confident expectation. It is not a wish. It is a knowing. And we know the Savior. And you can know the Savior today. That is found in a decision of today. We've been talking for four weeks about God's design, His order, His plan, and how sin messed it up. Well, we got a great picture of that today. God designed a certain way, and we have a great model of it on this next slide, if I put it in. God's design was messed up by sin. Things were destroyed. Things were broken. And, and, and look at poor little Adam and Eve. I left out this part. When they knew they were naked, what did they do? They went and sold fig leaves together. Actually, the fig leaves were pretty big. They were the biggest leaves they had. But nonetheless, that was their plan for fixing their brokenness. We're naked. What are we going to do? I don't know. Fig leaves. Okay. And they wear them. Did that fix the problem? The answer is no. No. But that was their plan for their brokenness. When they got caught in their brokenness, what was their plan? She did it. And you did it. All right, Eve. He, it, it did it. Blame somebody else. Great plan for fixing your brokenness. Blame somebody else. Does that fix the problem? No. There's only one fix for the problem. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who crushed the head. The one who defeated death, who took the sting and the victory from the grave. The one who died for every one of you. If you would just repent of your sin and believe on Jesus for salvation, you will be saved. And then your life begins through sanctification, through being more like Jesus every day. You begin to recover and pursue God's original design for your life. And in doing so, you tell others about Jesus, about how he fixed your broken life. And they can begin to have a fix to their brokenness.
you today might be the beginning of somebody else's hope tomorrow or today. If you trust Christ today, or if you've trusted Christ already and there's someone you need to tell about that. We're going to have a time of response where you can take your next step. We're going to sing and you're going to have the opportunity and pray with me first. And then I'll tell you what you can do this morning. Lord, we ask that you would give us hope. No, Lord, you've given us hope. We ask this morning that we would embrace hope. We would embrace the confident expectation that you provide in Jesus. We live and we will continue to live until the day Jesus comes back in a broken world. And we will have to deal with that brokenness. And that brokenness will affect us in horrible, horrible ways. But we can still have confident expectation We can have hope knowing that Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome brokenness. I have overcome sin. And because of Him in us through salvation, by grace, through faith, we too can overcome the world. We can overcome brokenness. We can overcome sin. And I pray this morning that as we celebrate this Christmas, We remember that hope has come. We celebrate the day it happened and the angels telling the shepherds and a year or two later the wise men coming recognizing the king that's been born. But we also celebrate knowing that that was 2,000 years ago and 33 years later that hope, Jesus, died on the cross and now we can have eternal life eternal hope because hope came to us. So I pray this morning if there's anyone who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior they would repent of their sins believe that Jesus died for them trust Him and Him alone for their salvation. They would make that choice today and they would see their beginning of hope today we pray in the most powerful name we know and the one who wants to do this in our hearts anyway jesus amen so this morning maybe you need to take up your cross leave your life follow him experience hope Maybe you need to be baptized. We're baptizing next Sunday. Last Sunday of the year, we get to baptize, and I'm excited to do it. Maybe you want to be a part of that. You want to submit to God for this next step in your life. Conform to Him. Join our church. Be a part of what we're doing. Share your decision with us on a connection card or online. As we sing this morning, uh, this is your opportunity to worship in giving as well. There's a QR code on the screen. If you want to scan that, you can go to our website and give from there. I believe it's on our Facebook page too. Or you can drop any uh, offerings, you, tithes or offerings you have in the boxes in the back. This is your time to, to worship in giving as well because giving to the Lord is worship. This morning, stand with me. Let's sing 
Let's worship and let's respond to the Lord as he leads us today.